and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How do we give back to all the people who came before us? Honest questions for an honest age. Really excited to get to our podcast guest today. Before I introduce him, I want to make sure you know who the voices are on this podcast. I'm, of course, Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone. Those of you who don't know, I host most of these podcasts. I work for Open Source Collective. I work for the Sustain community. In general, I also work at digitalinfrastructure.funds, helping out with digital infrastructure. Haven't given a short bio in a while. Felt like I should probably do that. I also teach Latin on the side for no reason, and I'm way too obsessed with birds. We also have on this podcast, Justin Dorfman. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this conversation. You'll learn why. Justin is, of course, the longtime, basically one of the founders. He was the original tweeter for Sustain. Been through all the conferences. Justin, where are you currently working? Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph, where you are the open source program manager and community manager. OSPO PM slash CM, all of the acronyms for you all. Thank you, Justin. It's great to have you on here. We have other rotating panelists who do occasionally come on and a big wave to them. This is a weird time for most of them because we scheduled this so that we could actually talk to Ali Mezat in Australia, in Sydney. Super excited to have you on today. It looks really bright and sunny where you are. Ali, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. I'm actually really excited about this conversation. So thank you guys for having me. Glad you're excited. This should be good. We've been trying to get this one on the books for like years. So I'm so excited that we finally made it. And it's only gotten more relevant with time. A little bit about Ollie first. He's a software engineer with a preference for embedded systems. His default is debugging custom hardware modules behind an oscilloscope. He's done a ton of stuff with a broad client base across medical, mining, and gaming industries. Basically, he's been around for a while. And as part of that, he's realized that the open source ecosystem needs some help. And he's focusing specifically on the OSS funding problem. That's right. This is a sustained podcast. We're always talking about how do we sustain things. A lot of that times, that means money. So his mission is for OSS devs to be able to focus on writing great code full time rather than maintaining a day job and chasing sponsorship dollars. He believes that will be the next big leap for our industry. He holds a master of business and technology. So he knows what he's talking about, which is probably why he started with thanks dev, which is one of those awesome sites where you can give back to developers, back to maintainers, back to your stack, all the different things where we talk about how do we make sure that we fund the open source ecosystems that we rely on. Now, Ollie, can you give me the differentiator? What's some cool Silicon Valley word for this? What's the difference for thanks.dev versus say, Git tip, Gratipay, open source collective, all those things? How does yours work? So the biggest difference between thanks dev and the other platforms is actually thanks dev is trying to learn from the experiments in the past git tip gratipay open collective github sponsors everything and the current iteration of thanks dev is an experiment on if you make it super easy for companies to donate to their dependency trees what would be the outcome of that right now the biggest challenge that I found in my backstory is that one of the barriers to contributing back to open source is that people inside companies, the engineer managers who hold credit cards and who have budgets, they don't have visibility of what's inside their code bases in terms of dependencies. And so if you make it as visible as possible, and if you make that data available to the decision makers, and you make it as easy as possible for them to decide who to donate to and how much to give to those 
projects that are actually looking into funding, does that increase the amount of funds that come into open source? So that's the biggest differentiator at the moment. When I was first studying, looking at this problem space, I had a few iterations and I had a few looks at the problem from different perspectives and different angles. And this was the cherry that I found easiest to deal with just based on my own experiments and based on what happened in my own backstory. So the long story of it short is that when I got interested in the funding space and in the challenges that open source maintainers face, it was actually all motivated by Brian Carlson in the Node.js community, who's the person behind Node Postgres. And I noticed that Node Postgres is getting a lot of downloads. I think at that time it was about 2.3 million downloads per week. And he only had a handful of sponsors and his most recent tweet at the time was, woke up today to some extremely offensive words from a frustrated user on GitHub, pretty much trashed my day. Remember your open source maintainers do this work out of love. Please be kind. We don't write bugs on purpose to wreck your day. Don't try and wreck ours. And that was the initial motivator. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that Brian is single-handedly maintaining this massive project and so many people are depending on it, but yet he's got a nine to five job and then he's maintaining this project outside hours. I tried reaching out to him, but that was a little bit more difficult. So if Brian's listening to this, I'd like to say a big thank you to him. But yeah, so that was the initial genesis for getting involved in this space. And since then, I've iterated and I've tried to experiment with different approaches. And I think Thanks Dev is in a really good position to experiment with automating donations. And then from there, start figuring out the different challenges, the other challenges that maintainers face. And from my conversations, there's a plethora of different challenges and different problems that each one of these projects and the maintainers and the individuals and software developers behind them face. It's not just funding. There's so many other problems and there's so many other challenges. And they're good challenges because there's so much value being created in these projects. So it's not just funding, it's project management, it's community management. There's just a whole array of other problems that can be attacked. It's just thanks, Dev is looking at the first one of them right now. Uh, That sounds like the perfect place to start. It's really good that you noticed there was a pain in the ecosystem. We've seen that before with other people. We saw that with the the C-curl guy with everything all over the place. People are getting tired of dealing with contributors who don't respect maintainers and paying them seems like a really good way of making that happen. So I have a lot of questions, of course. By the way, if you want to check this out, listeners, go to thanks.dev. That is the TLD. So you just .dev and you'll get to this website. And you'll see there it is already trusted by Sourcegraph, where Justin works, and of course, Sentry.io, where Chad Whitecker works. Chad Whitecker, who we had this podcast, who helped found GitTip and Gratipit. He was the person behind those efforts before. So we've already seen that this is being supported by people in the community, and it's really awesome to see that happen. One of my questions is you talk about making it easier for companies to give money back to open source. And there's a lot of barriers between companies giving to open source. One of the main barriers is why would they do so? So you have to justify it to someone up above. Another one is you have to figure out the procurement. How do you actually send money to people? And how do you make that easier? That's hard to do invoicing and the like. And finally, we have to figure out who to pay. And so you must have some sort of tree somewhere which figures out what the dependencies are, but then you also have to input 
package manifest and the like to figure out what of the source is being used at your company. Let's start with the first one. How does Thanks Dev help convince people to give money to open source? What's your arguments there and how do you help engineers pitch that up? The reason behind my current approach to Thanks Dev is that I tried that very early on. So when I came across Brian's tweet, I used to contract software development across a number of clients. And I went to the engineer managers that I was working with and I tried to convince them because it needs to be done. It's a huge problem space. And so I went to the engineer managers that I was working with and I tried to convince them to donate via GitHub sponsors and open collective on the channels that exist right now. And immediately I faced the exact same problem that you're mentioning right now. And the summary of it was, well, we've got limited engineering budget. We've got limited resources. What's the ROI we're going to get as a result of this donation? And basically when I hit that barrier, the approach that I took was to actually basically just add a line item to my invoices, which was the open source sustain line item. Very similar to environmental levies that you get when you, well, I think we've got them in Australia. When you take your car to a mechanic, there's a line item, it's a $15 line item for environmental levies to get rid of the oil and the battery and the tires and everything. So I just added one of those line items onto my invoices and Nobody better than I did. I mean, one of them did us. That's amazing, by the way. I'm sorry. I've just, I've never heard of someone doing that. That is awesome. Everyone should do that. That's like, yeah, that's a lot. I love that. That's baller. So yeah, one of them did ask a question, but basically pursuing changes to the invoice, it was just too much effort and it passed through and there was no issues. So that was actually the point at which thanks Dev in the dependency tree part analysis started. Because suddenly I had money that I had to give away to open source, but I didn't know how to go about it. Who should be getting that money? How much out of this pool should each one of these projects get? So the programmer in me took over and that's where the part of thanks to that we see today came from. With regards to how do you convince companies? That's a very broad question. And out of all the conversations that I've had, basically my learnings to date are that every company is different. But there's a huge appetite for giving back to open source in different forms, in different formats. For example, there are companies that are basically, there are engineers, ground level engineers that are deciding and they're going to management and they're donating. And so those engineers, the feedbacks that I've had from them is that thanks that would actually make it a lot easier for them. It's actually a really beneficial tool for them to have. Yes, there are arguments for giving back to open source. And we've covered a lot of those in this podcast before. And anyone who's listening yes. probably already is familiar with them. And it's actually probably gung-ho for that. My question is more specific. How does Thanks Dev as a website, what tools does it offer to engineers to help them pitch up, to help them figure out how to sell giving back to open source? Because we know those arguments, right? We think about them all the time. But the question for me is like, if I'm an engineer who's pro open source and I want to get back in my company, how do I convince my managers to do that by pointing them to thanks Dev? Yes. The first thing that's happening right now is it's making it clearly visible how the size of your dependency tree. When you do an analysis on one of the code bases in open source, on thanks Dev, on one of your code bases, for example, thanks Dev's own code base at three levels deep depends on about 480 open source projects. Out of those 480, there's about 140 of them that are looking for funding. Just 
creating visibility around that is one of the first steps. Then there are experiments that we're looking at running to create reports, to create extra value for companies, to create an ROI, to create awareness of the fragility of the ecosystems that these code bases depend on. At the end of the day, companies are going to spend money on gaining a return on investment or de-risking or mitigating risks. And open source right now is a very powerful ecosystem, but there are risks that engineer managers are not realizing. Based on my experience in my work, I just used to do an NPM install and off I'd go, I'd brought in an NPM in package dependency. And the engineering managers that were relying on me to deliver value for them had no visibility. They had zero visibility of the dependencies that are brought into the organization. I think the first step of it is to create visibility around those dependencies and around the ecosystems that you depend on. So the first step right now that we're experimenting and we've experimented with Chad and also Justin is to create reports that go back to the donor organizations to give them visibility of the people of the projects and the impact that these donations is having, whatever format it may be. So there's a lot of experimentations going on in this space right now on ThanksDev side and also outside of ThanksDev as well, which is really awesome. I really like what you said about how companies would invest. They're either looking to get a return or to be risk. So that seems very clear to me. And it's really cool that you're producing reports to make that clear. I think it also matches a lot of the rhetoric I'm seeing right now around funding open source in general, especially from OSPOs and federal OSPOs, where they're trying to figure out how do we make everything not break all the time? And how do we enforce that behavior on developers? Is ThanksDev agnostic in how it tries to enforce better practices for developers in its ecosystem? In order to get money, do you have to have a code of conduct or something? For now, there's a few learnings that I've had out of all the conversations that I've had with both OSPOs, companies that don't have OSPOs, developers inside companies, engineer managers inside companies, and all the maintainers that I've spoken to. I think everything at this stage is a learning experience. There's a lot for me and for ThanksDev to learn. So for that reason, I've tried to keep the amount of decisions that lock things down to a minimum. And in that regard, the topic of code of conduct and ways of working, I think are decisions for thanks dev not to get involved in at this stage. The reason is that the disconnect between what companies are needing from open source and what maintainers are expecting from companies, there's a huge gap that I'm finding and everyone's opinion of that gap is very different, rightly so. There's so many different ways of looking at this. There's so many ways and perspectives and there's so much diversity in opinion in the ecosystem that for ThanksDev to take one side over the other is not the right approach. I think the right approach for ThanksDev is to actually figure out how to facilitate closing that gap. Where are the spaces that gap could be reduced in terms of getting more funding back to maintainers and getting more value into companies so companies can see that there's a lot more visibility out of that value coming out of open source inside company. I know I'm talking very high level, but just as an example, the conversations that I've had with OSPOs that have originated inside companies that are open source first companies versus companies that are not open source primarily, the mission is the same. 
the mission is always to increase the sustainability of the open source platforms that we depend on. But the way these companies go about it and the expectations they have around it are completely different. Rightly so, because one of those companies is driven by the ROI argument of if we're spending money here, we have to have some return on investment. Whereas companies that have started as open source projects and have grown into big open source commercial companies, they actually realize that the non-balance sheet numbers or the non-balance sheet related value of open source, because they've come out of that ecosystem, because they've seen, because they are a product of that ecosystem. So I think I'm going about answering the question in a very roundabout way, but I think there's just so much diversity in the ecosystem that you have to do a lot more learning and you have to do a lot more experimenting to figure out what's right. We're at very nascent stages of this problem space still. I hear that. I have a similar problem because obviously I'm the one who figures out whether collectives to join open source collective most of the time. For any weird collective that wants to join or wants to be part of that open collective, I check and I look at their GitHub and like I have this weird question all the time. Like, okay, where do you fit in your open hardware? Or like, you don't have a code of conduct, but you have 10,000 people on Discord. Or like, you only have one maintainer, but you want to have more and you can't do that until you get money coming in. And every time we try to do something, we get a lot of pushback. And like, oh, no, you can't do that because of this edge case. And it's just a lot of learning. I kind of feel like we're still at the Pharos level. Let's insert an ad into NPM stage. We're still figuring out what it means to fund open source. So it's good to see you wrestling with these issues too, because that means I'm not crazy. Absolutely. The licensing landscape is a whole other aspect of open source where there's a lot of conversations happening, which rightly so, because licensing is still not a solved problem. We have so many standardized licenses that are recognized, which is really good, but it's still a very open. I keep going back to the problem of maintainers because I think that maintainers in the conversation have been slightly underrepresented. I know that's a generalized statement. One of the things that's happening is these maintainers, they're starting engagement with an open source project as the primary motivator from the conversations that I've had. The primary motivator that I've found is, oh, this is cool. I'd like to spend some time on this. But sooner or later, when the project starts growing and it has more users, this is cool gets replaced with, oh, I need to maintain this. I need to provide support here. Oh, there's a bug there. So now the people that are across that project have been pulled into something that they didn't originally sign up for. But because the intellectual property that they produced was given away for free, now they're tied to it. So there's a few maintainers that I've spoken to, like one of the projects that I had a chat with one of the maintainers and he was actually the third maintainer on the project. It's getting multiple million downloads per week. And he's the third maintainer because the first two maintainers have completely burnt out. And it's a repetition of a problem that everyone is aware of in the ecosystem. But if we could figure out how to fund these people behind these projects in a way that they wouldn't burn out, they were fairly remunerated for the value that they're adding to the ecosystem so that they didn't have to maintain a nine to five job. They didn't have to maintain their personal life. And then on a third priority order would be open source. If we change that conversation around so they can work on it full time, then conversation would be very different and the quality of software, broadly speaking, would substantially increase. And so that's the problem space that ThanksDev is exploring. A lot of times during this conversation, the word learning came up a lot. And I know the first time we talked, 
I'll be honest, I kind of wrote you off as like a floss bank because like floss bank just went down. And I was just like, okay, just use back your stack. And you're like, let me show you something, you know? And you showed me the demo and I was like, okay, it's pretty cool. But I was like, have you talked to Joel Wasserman of Flossbank? You're like, yeah, I have. I was like, oh, okay. For context, we interviewed Joel back in 2020 when he was launching Flossbank, which was something similar to thanks.dev. And that was one thing that really impressed me and that actually made me want to go to my boss and be like, we're going to be a launch partner for this project, thanks.dev. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is, what did you learn from Joel? What did you learn from others before you that you're not going to become the next defunct funding platform? Because we need more funding platforms, not less. So what are you learning? How are you evolving? How are you going to make sure that thanks.dev is sustainable going forward? I've actually had multiple conversations with Joel. And the amount of insight that Joel shared has been absolutely enormous. And actually to this day, I bounce ideas off him and we're still in regular contact and I run the experiments that I'm thinking of past him. So he's been an awesome advisor in this journey just because of the experience and the learnings he had. You saying that has chills like down my spine. Makes me happy too. Just like Joel, you are the man. That is so cool. So it's actually not just Joel either. I mean, it's really awesome, the learnings that I've had, but the experiments that you and Chad ran previously prior to all of this as well. So it's all building on the same themes. But with respect to Flossbank and with respect to the conversations that I've had with Joel, the biggest learning is that to solve the funding problem in open source, you have to look at it from the perspective of a marketplace But this is a marketplace where the supply side or the maintainer side of the marketplace is oversupplied. You have very easy access to it. But on the demand side, which is the company side, it's a very difficult challenge. You have to carry companies through very long sales processes. You have to figure out what the right value for companies are. Each company's values and each company's expectations are very different. So you have to work on that sales aspect a lot and you have to figure out that sales pipeline. Joel's primary input, actually one of his biggest inputs into ThanksDev has been how do you figure out how to work with companies and to create that sales cycle to get more funding coming into the ecosystem and more funding into the open source projects that these companies depend on. Got it. And who have you worked with project-wise to get more funding in? So there's a lot of different aspects that I'm experimenting on right now. The OSPOs are one avenue. Then currently in the ecosystem, you've got a lot of individuals donating via GitHub and Open Connected. Now, the motivations for these individuals is very different as well. A lot of these individuals, what I'm seeing is there's a good portion of donations that are happening right now that are actually between maintainers. One maintainer co-sponsoring another maintainer that co-sponsors them back. So figuring out the motivations behind these donations and why this is happening and how do you facilitate that, then there's a whole cohort of donors on GitHub and Open Collective that are actually engineering managers that are going to their own organizations and getting donations done. 
and figuring out what's the motivations behind these people, behind their actions, why are they doing this, and what are the values that you can provide and scale so that more of these companies can come on board? And how do you make that visible? So those are the experiments that are on the roadmap right now. Currently, though, up until this point, the primary focus has been, is there an opportunity or what's the right mechanism to make the dependency tree visible and to allocate a donation across that dependency tree in a way that makes it super easy for people to start actually donating. And the biggest learning out of that, and this was another input of Flossbanks and Joel's, is that dependency tree analysis and scoring a dependency tree is somewhat subjective. There's so many corner cases and there's so many different ways of looking at dependency trees and trickling a donation down a dependency tree. So there's been a lot of effort put into figuring out that part of the equation up until this point. For example, how do you deal with forked projects? How do you deal with dev dependencies or test dependencies? How do you deal with different ecosystems that behave so differently? For example, in the Node.js ecosystem, you've got very wide and very deep dependencies. You've got one-line functions as NPM packages with different people having different opinions on those projects. And then in other ecosystems, like the Golang ecosystem, everything is very flat. You don't have that much of a big... And it kind of goes back to the actual frameworks and the standard library that is in different language ecosystems, right? So the behaviors across different language ecosystems are very different. So how do you adjust your dependency tree analysis and your algorithm for those? And how do you learn from that? How do you iterate on those things? Those have been some of the other learnings that we've had with Lostbank as well. Are there like any papers that you've read deal with these complexities and these edge cases that seen that other sustainers could look at? Or is it just kind of just keeping everything local, like on your computer? No, so there's a long list of blog posts that I like to get to publish of all the different learnings that I've had in this space and all the different challenges that I've had. But up until now, it's been a lot of learning and I keep going back to learning. It's been a lot of testing and trialing different approaches and different experiments to figure out what are the right parameters to play with. For example, one of the earlier conversations that I had was with Dwayne from Indeed. The input that Dwayne has had on Thanks Dev has just been absolutely, it's made such a huge impact. And what he's doing with Indeed's donations to open source, there's a lot of elements of it in Thanks Dev that I'm trying to replicate and scale out just because of the awesome work that they're doing. But one of the first inputs that Dwayne had was, well, different ecosystems, how do you make sure that one ecosystem doesn't override the other ecosystems that are in a dependency tree in terms of importance? How do you figure out how to scale? For example, in Node.js, you've got massive dependency trees. In Golang or in the Rust ecosystem, you've got very much smaller dependency trees. So how do you stop the one donation coming in, not getting overshadowed between different packages, between different ecosystems? How do you rate the importance of packages? So there's a lot of knobs and toggles that are in Thanks Dev right now, but they've just been big experiments. And each one of these experiments actually takes a long time just because the data structures that you're working with are just so big. 
once you generate a dependency tree for, let's say someone logs in with a hundred repositories and you have to analyze each one of these hundred repositories, each one of them brings in 20, 30 dependencies. Suddenly you get really big data structures that you have to munch through in code. And every time you make a change, you have to make sure that it's right. You have to make sure the numbers are correct. And then while you're doing that, you realize, oh, wow, there's a dependency on a fork of this project that's coming in. This is a fork, but the donation or the resulting donation should have go to the original project. What percentage of it should go? What percentage of it shouldn't go? All of these problems come up. So it's a really fascinating space. It's such an awesome problem domain to kind of experiment with and play with and do trial and error with. Yeah, there's a lot of blog posts, ideas that I'd like to write up. I just haven't had the time to do it yet, but hopefully soon. So there's a lot I could ask around dependency trees, but I feel like we've covered that before, like in Joel's podcast as well. And you can also go read about libraries.io and Ben's work. And I just feel like it's a known space. And my question is around payments. So payment payouts. You're using Stripe right now. How are you going to avoid what happened with Flossbank where not enough maintainers signed up? And how are you making sure that the money goes to more than just single developers, but to communities? Of course, I'm biased because... OSC goes to communities. But I'm just really curious how you're making sure that the money actually gets to the developers and that helps the sustainability of those projects. Yeah. Payouts are supported by a stride, but they're also supported by Open Collective. So there's a number of projects as a result of these current experiments that we're running with Sentry and Sourcegraph. There's a number of projects that are signed up and that have connected Open Collective as the off-ramp, which is actually working out really well. In terms of how do you ensure that the money is actually making an impact inside the community, what I've learned is that different communities look at it very differently. Some communities are run in a very dictatorial manner, whereas other communities, there's just such a huge diversity in the approaches that each project takes to how they organize, how they get work done, how they manage funds, how they manage the distribution of funds. And so thanks Dev has made it but now as easy as possible for maintainers to receive funds and for the project to decide how to distribute those funds. So when a maintainer logs in and they have funds on the system, they actually have three options of what to do with those funds. They can either withdraw part or all of the balance that's been received by the projects that they're an administrator for, or they can transfer part or all of the balance to another user on ThanksDev. So let's say a project that has someone doing documentation work that doesn't really show up in code or has someone supporting the community via Stack Overflow questions or via Discord that doesn't exactly translate to Git commits. There's still a mechanism for funds to be transferred to those users. And finally, there's also the option of donating all or part of the balance to the project's own dependency tree. Because what I've seen is that open source projects depend on other open source projects. And that's one of the motivators for maintainers cross-sponsoring each other on the different platforms. So why not make that scalable? Why not have that facility there? I think Nicholas Zekas in ESLint is actually doing really awesome work. Part of their TSC meetings is to decide which one of their upstream or downstream packages they should continue supporting or they should donate some of their funds to. 
And a lot more projects should be doing this because the distribution of donations in the ecosystems is very lopsided right now as well. You've got the handful of popular projects that are forefront of mind for developers that receive the bulk of funds and then all of their dependencies get left behind. And I can understand why that happens because there's a lot of companies that want to donate to open source. They want to engage with open source. So they go and carry an internal poll of their engineers. Hey, which project should we donate to? Or we're thinking of doing a donation to open source. What are the projects? Each employee gets five votes or they start dumping names of projects into a spreadsheet. But what you end up getting there is pretty much the first level dependencies that are very popular, that are at the forefront of everyone's mind. But the really deep-seated dependencies never get discovered. Like the Log4j project would never get discovered with a mechanism like this. And so having a system like ThanksDev or a system similar to ThanksDev, or even using the GitHub sponsors dependency analysis platform that GitHub provides, just making engineers and engineer managers aware of these tools so that they can go and figure out, oh, wow, there's these deep nested dependencies that we didn't know we were depending on, but that really need funding. How do you make that data visible and how do you make it smooth and easy for companies to donate those deep nested dependencies? Okay, cool. I guess I missed the bit where you mentioned a collective on the website, which is okay because you have another bit on your website saying, how can I help? And you say you want documentation and the like, which leads me to my final question because we are running up on time, which I've noticed in the FAQ on thanks.dev that you are currently not taking a salary for this. And that's just donate what you like as part of this process. It's sort of a tip jar for you. How are you planning to make that sustainable for you? Wow, that's another really big topic that we can go into, Richard. The long story of a short <laughs> is that I've been working on ThanksDev for about two and a half years, but I really got serious and full-time on it in April of this year. And before I went full-time, I did a very small round of fundraising through family and friends. But because it's family and friends money, I'm very reserved against wasting money. So I'm lucky enough to not have to take a salary right now. And so I've got that money there sitting as a cushion, sitting as a safety barrier that I'm not touching at all. But on the flip side of it, I'm strongly married to the idea that for ThanksDev to be successful, it has to operate as a sustainable business. So there's a huge motivation to getting the financial sustainability of ThanksDev working as soon as possible. Again, that goes back to what I've learned from Flossbank and what I've learned from Indeed, which is ThanksDev has to figure out the mechanisms, the right mechanisms to create value for companies and create awareness for companies so more funds come through it. And as a result of more funds coming through it, you get more open source developers on the platform, more open source developers on the platform, means there's more funds coming through the platform, so it becomes more sustainable as time goes on. That's a big topic that maybe we can talk about next time. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Thank you so much. And of course, we can still reach out to you at Ali at thanks.dev and people can follow you on Twitter if you still use Twitter, which is also thanks underscore dev. It's a thing for that. There's also a Discord which you can reach from the website at thanks.dev. So those are all the places to keep in touch is there a separate blog or is that just on the website as well? I'm not seeing a blog section on the website. 
No. So on the website, the blog is the learning section, learn more section on the homepage down the bottom. But that section I'm planning on growing with more of the things that I've learned throughout the past year. And yeah, there's a lot of questions, but there's a lot of exciting opportunities in this space. And I encourage everyone to get involved, whether it's through ThanksDev or whether it's through donating through the other platforms, GitHub, Open Collective, or whether it's just getting engaged with the project. There's so many cool aspects to open source. And that's been one of the biggest motivators. It's just when I started getting involved in this space and I started talking to people, Everyone is so approachable. Everyone wants to help. Everyone is working towards the same goal. But the beauty of it is everyone's working towards the same goal in their own way. So everyone's got freedom. And that's a huge plus to the open source ecosystem. And it's just such an awesome space to be in. Thank you so much, Ali. That space is, of course, made more awesome by people like you trying to make sure it's more awesome for everyone else. So thank you for this work. Been great having you on. I really hope that Thanks Dev continues to succeed and goes really well. I hope you never have to touch that money, but you can get loads more, all the things, whatever you know, make the world sustainable forever. But don't leave yet because now we have the part of the show where we talk about something completely different, which is giving back to our dependencies and or the people who have given to us. That's right. Spotlights where we highlight projects, people, places, things, nouns that we feel just need a little bit of light shed on them. Justin Dorfman, you traditionally go first. What's your spotlight today? Code mirror. Today, I got approval to spend, right now we're at 250 euros a month to sponsor the project. They use their own platform, like they use their own Stripe stuff. So don't hate me, Allie. I got it to go up to the top, 1,000 euros a month. So Code Mirror, the project, I wrote a, a budget with the help of Dwayne O'Brien. So thank you, Dwayne. And yeah, just really happy to be able to support one of our biggest dependencies, CodeMirror for sourcegraph.com and be able to pay the maintainer the top wage that he is asking for. That is awesome. Thank you, Justin. My spoiler today is Adam. I've been using the Adam editor since 2011. Today, when I signed into Adam, I heard that it's going to be deprecated, which makes me incredibly sad because Adam is my editor and I don't really want to have to move. I don't like VS Code. I find it really counterintuitive. Rant, 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 rant. Don't want to do it. So I'm going back to Vim, which makes me extremely unhappy, but at least I'll feel cool. If anyone has any other editors that they would suggest, which are more open source and less go to the cloud, let me know. I'd be curious to find out. But today, instead of ranting, just really thanks to Adam for fueling my development for the past 10 years. It's been a treat. Rest in peace. And the entire Adam team, who of course, made that happen. Adam is a non-entity, but thanks to the team who contributed there and to the, all the contributors to Adam. Ali, what's your spotlight? Wow. It's so difficult to actually put one spotlight on. Before I actually talk about the spotlights, let me just, again, thank Chad and Justin and Dwayne and Joel and every other person that I've spoken to and that have given me their time and allowed me to learn from them. I would actually like to put a spotlight back onto Brian and all the other Brians of the world that are creating such an immense amount of value in the ecosystem. And Brian's project has been running for such a long time and any company in the Node.js space that talks to a Postgres database probably goes through not Brian's package one way or the other. So yeah, projects like Brian and Brian himself that make 
even this call possible, then it's just phenomenal. So yes, spotlight on Brian. Sweet. Thank you so much. And follow, of course, to everyone else who has helped contribute to making open source sustainable. And if you're interested in being part of that conversation, then keeping it going, do check in. We have a website. It's sustainoss.org. We have a discourse. Discourse is sustainoss.org. We have a Twitter, sustainoss. Happy to talk about these things all the time. If you have any thoughts about this podcast or any other podcast which you've listened to, feel free to send them along to podcast at sustainoss.org. They'll go to me and the other hosts. Very happy to also take recommendations for other people who should be on the show. So, Ali, as you keep learning, as you have other blog posts, do keep in touch, do post on those channels if you would like to, and do let us know if there's someone else that we should also have on for cool to do. So listeners, if you listen to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever podcasts are sold, please go forth and like it there. That also helps our rankings, which are apparently important, or just talk about it to your friends, which is actually probably better. Also, of course, if you want to check out any of the show notes, any of the links we've mentioned, we do provide them online at podcast.sustainoss.org. So do go forth and check that area too. Finally, Ali, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much. Best of luck with everything. I really hope this goes well. Keep in touch and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you.